Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and today we have a very exciting episode of the show for you. On the other side of the mic is our guest, Ryan Wyatt, president at Polygon Labs, the development team behind the decentralized Ethereum scaling solution, Polygon. We've got a lot to unpack. We're going to look at the mission and vision of Polygon Labs, layer twos in general, and much more. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high-integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Once again, I want to thank our guest Ryan Wyatt for joining us on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. I know. You have the distinct pleasure and honor to uh, have tan beachside Frank, which adds to the revelry and enjoyment for the audience as well as the guest, I think. I can only hope that this is the most pleasant version of you. So I feel like I've got an opportune time here to have a good conversation with you. Well, Island Frank is a bit more relaxed, you know, but, but you, know, you, you might get some easier questions than usual. So that's probably... Probably good for you. Yeah, it's a good uh, setup. Yeah, you have a beautiful beach background. They can't see right now, but I can. So it does add to the uh, the conversation. Trust me, they're seeing it. I'm posting pictures every day. I gotta, I, I've gotta, you know, make all the haters jealous. Um, so let's let's walk through it. So you recently transitioned, right? You were the CEO of Polygon Studios yeah. before becoming president at Polygon Labs. What does that shift look like? And and walk us through your current role. Yeah. So, you know, when I came in um, into Polygon, it was to lead the studios team. And the idea behind the studios team at the time was just for it to be a division of Polygon that's going to be games, NFT, and metaverse. And really, like five, six months in, 
we we'd made a handful of decisions of consolidating kind of the contributor group under one team, Polygon Labs, um, just so that we didn't have kind of redundant resources, that we were all much more aligned. Um, we just had, as, as Polygon was growing, we were starting to see way too much overlap. It was becoming difficult mm. to figure out who was supposed to tackle what. So we brought everybody under one roof under Polygon Labs. Um, and then, yeah, I'm now leading that, which has been fun. You know, I, I think it's it's been great to, to continue to take on more at Polygon. It's been an honor. I'm enjoying it. And uh, certainly my first year in crypto was uh, was pretty wild um, for, I'm sure, many subjects we've already discussed on this show. Yeah. So for people who are maybe, you know, for some reason they decided to get into crypto in 2023, maybe they fell off their their bed or something and hit their head. Um, what is Polygon? Walk us through the mission and and exactly how you fit into the broader layer two landscape. Yeah. So what Polygon is is a scaling solution on Ethereum. And I think by like the way that I kind of thought process, like my thought process of uh, when I wanted to join Polygon was because of one really specific thing. I looked at you know there's a there's all L ones there's other solutions where you can build on top of but. Ethereum already had this strong, vibrant developer and user ecosystem. And so I wanted to be a part of that. And so then I looked at the different scaling solutions that were out there. And at the time, what Polygon has, you know, has now and, and was offering was really just this like uh, proof of stake sidechain. And it had this very grand vision for how it was going to scale Ethereum. And a lot of it was through these acquisitions that Polygon made before my time in 2021, uh, three different ZK teams. And so for me, I started to get excited at this idea of, you know, like, okay, I'm not highly technical, but everything that I was starting to read and interpret was that these like ZK proofs that would eventually allow really meaningful scaling of Ethereum Mm -hmm. um, while still keeping, you know, costs relatively low. And so I looked at Polygon, there was other options. And so Polygon basically had this, this going for it. Um, and I thought, you know, coming from the, the Web 2 world and having this interest in spending some time on the fringe of Web 3, it's like this, will, you know, Polygon in a lot of ways is a, a, a platform for decentralized apps to deploy on. And I kind of look at it in the most layman's term as, you know, blockchain is like a product feature of the internet. And so how a lot of companies think about deploying and building on AWS or Google Cloud that's kind of the interpretation of what you know Polygon is for uh, you know building on top of Ethereum, and so all of it started to click. That's why I got excited, and that you know is a is a way of describing kind of what Polygon is. And so we work with a variety of partners, some who are Web 2.5 that are building a, a subsection of their tech on Polygon, such as like Starbucks Odyssey, all the way to you know the makers of Farmville or launching Pirate Nation and. Every single thing on the game and transaction is on chain. So that's where we're at today. And um, yeah, that's what we do. I remember during the heady days of the Pico top of the crypto market, we got to a point where we were referring to Ethereum as the millionaires and billionaires chain because of the fees. <laughs> yeah. um, so how, how are we getting to a point where we can have um, – you know, apps built on top of Ethereum via layer two that are usable for a wide range of people and don't make it exorbitantly expensive. And ironic, Frank, I came in Pico top and it's, you know, I've been in, on a roller coaster ride ever since. So it's funny to hear that story. That's like when I joined the space. Um, 
Yeah, I look, I think if you if you look at what started to happen this past year, when you think about Polygon strategy, one thing really, if you think about kind of the whales like you're referencing that were on ETH, and that's really where the transactions are happening, gas costs were astronomical, this idea and narrative around the need for a scaling solution where you would able you would be able to have low gas fees and actually be able to transact and have high volume and so forth really started to kind of come up in more of the dialogue uh, because buying high valuable assets and paying high gas fees is a little bit more digestible but trying to build games with low items and high gas fees just really prohibits the space from meaningfully growing in a lot of different use cases. So I think it's like there comes Polygon and entering in. And so one thing, when you look back at that time for Polygon, Solana and Ethereum, just like PFPs was it. Like that's really what, that's what everyone was talking about. That was the focus. ETH and Solana had it completely locked down. Solana had a really great like end-to-end experience with kind of Phantom Magic ETH and Solana. It was like really nice from a user experience. You know, you already had kind of ETH whales, the rise of like OpenSea taking off. All of these like things were happening. And Polygon wasn't really able to play in the space. One, because like minting was so like effectively nothing to mint. So you would get all kinds of projects because there was no barrier to entry. So this idea that you would get high quality projects was really difficult. And it's almost like the cost of Polygon hurt itself in that scenario where it benefited maybe in gaming and some other things. It, it was kind of at a disadvantage to PFPs. We didn't really have any marketplace support, right? So we were just really launching like OpenSea support. We hadn't really done the Magic Eden and all the different other partnerships that we've struck and Phantom supporting Polygon. And so at that time last year, we swam kind of upstream and started to focus on Web3 use cases and dApps, right? And so that's when kind of the Starbucks stuff happened and really started to just try some of these different areas of Web3's got to be bigger than just flipping PFP projects, right? So where can we go play and kind of get ahead of it? There's so much blank space. And so that's why Polygon kind of moved out of just even trying to be in that place where we couldn't play. Um, you know, a year ago and, and kind of moving upstream to the dApps that are being built, gaming and, and otherwise. So walk us through that relationship with Starbucks. How did that partnership deal get struck? So all of like the way kind of Fortune 500 companies, if you will, kind of come to Polygon is through, there's like a variety of different ways. Some some companies, they're just interested, they have no idea how to enter. So, right, they just are intrigued by how to do it, how they can get guidance, um, some companies have a very clear vision like Starbucks. So if you think of the team, Adam Robin from Forum 3 is the group that's really building out the experience. He was the one that was instrumental in starting the initial Starbucks rewards program. They kind of have always been ahead of the curve on loyalty and rewards, arguably the best, right? And so they had, un- unlike some of these other brands that we've worked with, they had a very clear vision of like, this is what we're going to do. Like we don't, we don't need any of the expertise. We're explaining what we want to do. Uh, and we got to work really closely with them as far as, as you know, rolling these things out. But they had a very clear vision. And theirs is really Web 2.5 in a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? If you think about what Odyssey is, they're, they're slowing out rolly, or sl- uh, rolling it out slowly. Yeah, the beta launched December 8th. Yeah, and I think they're pretty conservative in the tranches of people that they're letting in. Um, but it's Web 2.5, and I think that's totally fine. That's great, right? I look at it as we're going to have to do a bunch of different things in Web 3. There's going to be varying degrees of how much is on chain versus not for any of these projects. And so anybody building and going back to that initial point of how I, I think of it as like a product feature of the internet and tapping a piece of what they do into it is going to be net beneficial for the space. And so Odyssey effectively is them kind of thinking about different ways to reward people in participating in Starbucks. So their stamps are NFTs. 
they'll send people on journeys to, you know, maybe buy coffee from Starbucks.com, maybe go into a Starbucks reserve, and then they'll get some NFT. That NFT will either give them access, allow them to do something. You can buy them, you can sell them. If you collect the subset of them, they can do physical and digital experiences. So they're planning kind of like all of that is rolling out. And they did it through Nifty. So you can take it, you can, you know, actually like custody if you want to. But that's really, in my thing, not even the point. Like, I think this idea of people getting used to a digital asset that they have autonomy over is going to be really net beneficial for the space. I think, you know, the way in which you described it as Web 2.5, a more cynical person might describe it as, as LARP. I think you have to think, dude, there's so many, there's, as we kind of go down this path, um, you'll have varying degrees of people that, you know, wherever they are on like, oh, it's like fully decentralized and everything needs to be like this way. I have a maybe more broader view as people tinker and they explore this and they actually start to think about methods in which they leverage on-chain tech that that's just net beneficial. And there are going to be some terrible projects that do it like we see it all the time. That's okay. The exploration is part of everyone learning and iterating. Um, and so I'm kind of okay with it. I think if we can get people like one foot in and we can grab the other one in a year or two and be like, oh, put all of this stuff on chain and then actually think about how you help with that connection. Because I do think it'll be valuable of bringing users along because I still think of things, um, going back to that game, I was talking about Pirate Nation, like they mint their pirates on mainnet. That's like how you get on ETH mainnet. But they make the bridging to Polygon fun. Like you set your, you know, your pirates out to sea and like all of that, like making, abstracting away these like crypto, you know, technical journeys and making it much easier. If these companies can kind of figure that out in this like web 2.5 space to help full web three adoption, then I don't know. I think it's worth pushing. What, how would you sort of describe the benefit of an NFT based loyalty and rewards program for a company like Starbucks relative to, um, Web two experiences for these types of programs. What what is the main added value there? I think for them, like there's scarcity. I think that I, I you know I do believe because it's two point five, there's a fair degree of this you could do in like centralized SQL fashion. But from their perspective, everything is intuitively capable of being plugged into right because, now. Because because like what I mean is you know you can I can be Starbucks and say you know if you download our app. Um, and you buy X amount of coffees, you know, you can be entered into some sort of raffle of some uh, sort. Yeah. And, and if yeah. you, if you win, you get to, you know, I don't know, go out to dinner with, with Ryan or Frank or something and you don't really need a difference in utility there, but yes. <laughs> but, but what added value does, does literally that just that raffle ticket being an NFT, and the well, whole process. I think there's a couple things. They have like scarcity in some of these as well and like verifiable scarcity on chain and so forth. So like there'll only be a time where if you want to get one of these stamps, you have to do these things in a window and everybody has like first, you know, like there's only a finite amount of them. So I think they can kind of create different behaviors this way. Um, and then they are doing, I think, you know, a bunch of different utility in it. Now, this is why I think it is, I'm kind of like, we'll see, right? I do think there are things if you have an understanding of like a, 
a user is making these purchases of almond lattes is like a, you know, on a Starbucks side, you could be in a Whole Foods rewards program that just knows I spend money. I like, I like almond milk and discount me on almond milk. So I do think if you really put some of this stuff on chain and some of these actual transactions, you can build out something pretty robust on the reward side. I don't want to imply that that's what their plans are. I also think for them, you know, and I don't want to speak for them. Like, this is the thing. We're the protocol in which it's launched on. It's not really, like, my place to speak on behalf of what Starbucks' vision is. So you, AWS wouldn't be doing that for, like, Call of Duty's multiplayer game. But I do think that their idea is, well, yeah, we already have all this infrastructure we can plug in today and use and utilize and do these things that we want. I don't think it's necessarily uh, we could we could recreate this in a – centralized database and do something very similar. I'm sure they're not naive to that. So um, I think they have a longer play and why these things should be on chain. No, I think that's well said. Um, One thing that people are really excited about is the awaited launch of ZK. How far away are we from that? Spring. The spring. Yep. So we did, um, we got our test net out. what was that like late last year? I mean, the team has been all on it. I think really the the timeline got significantly accelerated because these teams, these three different ZK teams came together. Polygon acquired three different teams for you know a billion dollars effectively in 2021. So we brought Mirror Protocol, Zero Now, Hermes, and that those teams kind of came over and we're working on different you know uh, different problems in the ZK solution stack because they were working on those problems collaboratively and they've got great stories of all of that. It allowed them to accelerate different parts of the timeline. So our ZK VM is coming out in the spring. Um, you know, that's ahead of what I think a lot of people fully expected it to. You know, as we think we, you know, I, I, over the coming months, I think the ZK, us telling our entire complete ZK story will be really important because there's a very thoughtful journey on how all of these things are interconnected, which I think has been a question mark, you know, for a lot of folks, as we haven't talked about it as much, but uh, this last quarter, we've really started to ramp that up more and we'll continue this year. So that's where we're at. Ultimately for us, it's allowing, you know, it's part of us continuing to scale. I think as we think about, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions flowing, how do you actually do that? How do you keep gas costs low? You know, ZKVM offers an interesting solution where gas costs will be a little bit higher than POS, but less than ETH, but like way more secure. So there's a lot of different solutions. And because of the EVM compatibility, things will be easily able to be like deployed and built there as well, too. Um, so it's interesting. These things are starting to fire on all cylinders. Like 22 was such a brand partnership year, you know, like establish some of the, you know, user journeys. So you saw like marketplace partnerships, you saw the wallet partnerships. It was working with big brands of varying degrees to think about their Web3 strategy. It was really onboarding games and working within DeFi. And so um, I think this year, a lot of our story will be tech driven and tech focused. I think that's really where ultimately when people make decisions and building, it's going to be oriented around tech capabilities in the future. I don't know how much it has been, you know, of the past, but I think as you look over the next decade, it, it will be. How would you explain your ZK tech stack in, in layman's terms? Yeah, I mean, ultimately these like zero knowledge proofs where you don't actually need to know the information, but you can validate that it's true. Open one, it allow this is a mechanism in being able to do this allows us to scale. Um, and two, part of that allows for really interesting things to now be built on top of it. You know, this idea that you can prove an identity 
without having to, you know, actually show the information is really important to kind of like certain parts of Web3 ethos. And so there's a number of things of practical use cases on that end um, and scaling. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's that's the gist of it. Um, I mean, most layman's term is really just, it's a mechanism that'll allow us to continue to like scale our, our, our transactions. Mm. And what will the transaction costs be on ZK EVM versus mainnet? Yeah, so that's a, we don't. That's a, not like all fully buttoned up right now. But the best way I can kind of articulate it is the P our POS chain, right, which is where everything's built on today, will still be the cheapest, and zkVM will sit in between like ETH mainnet and that chain. So it will be somewhere in in the middle. Um, and then the team is doing a lot of focusing on that and how do you get those transaction costs down and. You know, I think, Frank, at the end of the day, that'll be like a big differentiator in a lot of these conversations as well. So, yeah. The Reddit story is interesting. Reddit story is very interesting. So how did you manage that? Yeah. So funny, like Reddit was, you know, they were like really, not Reddit, obviously the company, but Reddit community was like very vocal about, you know, like, fuck NFTs. Like, NFTs are yeah. terrible. Um, and it's great. This is why actually Reddit gives me like so much faith. That, you know, this past year of working in this space and everything that's happened, my, like, conviction hasn't been disrupted at all because I just, like, believe in this end state of digit. like, when you pay for digital items and you get more autonomy over the ownership of that, that is a good thing for a user. And so if you just, like, don't worry about crypto or NFTs and all that, that's good. And so Reddit... Working with them, you know, they they launch it as digital collectibles and this great way for artists to kind of be a part of it, the community to like participate and buy. And, and these that, are these are these are collectible avatars that right. are on Polygon. They're on Polygon, and then you can set them as your avatar, and obviously different artists start, you know, distributing them, and it's awesome. And it's been really well received by Reddit users and the community. And I think it's opened their eyes to having a different perspective on kind of NFTs in the space, which I think again is a great story for Web3. And yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it's like nine million, you know, uh wallets or something were created on Polygon directly from Reddit, right? And so it's just mm. these are just these. Look, it's the early days, and so we're just trying to crack some of these nuts on how you get to mass adoption. We're far from it. I mean, I think we're playing a five to ten year game here on all of this stuff. Uh, but when you start to see those like drops of, well, we call it a digital collectibles. People loved it. They got in, and it actually started to onboard people into crypto. You can't help but be excited about that for the space and curious on what that expands into into the future. Well, it sort of plants those seeds. How do we see those seeds grow into? robust plants? It's a good question. I think this is why it does take long because basically you go through all of these, you know, we not like 90% of projects just aren't going to, they're not going to, whether they're, you know, 95% of projects aren't going to succeed. Right. Um, and then these 5% are going to be really demonstrating, you know, use cases, how you build like a revenue generating business model that's sustainable, how you build a company on top of a protocol and so forth. Um, and they're going to learn and educate, and then people are going to iterate off of that. It's very much like it reminds me of game development too. You know, like people mm. are so against free to play. People are against mobile games. Like big publishers put their nose up in mobile games. Then they saw how much money was made there. Then they did mobile games. You know, free to play was hated as a game model. Now it's like the primary game model. So I just think over time, people are going to learn, iterate, adapt, and start to build their one. Some things that already exist today, maybe some portion of it going on chain, and then also some of these projects natively coming up. Time. I think it's just time. You've got talent and capital in this space. There, things are going to flourish, right? Um, 
And I honestly, not to be like too poetic, but these moments where, you know, like an, uh, an FTX saga where it like wreaks havoc, in some ways it like fertilizes that soil long-term, builds more stability, builds more awareness, builds more education around it. And so I just think part of it is this ebb and flow and at one point we'll hit an inflection point where you'll have a, an app or a number of apps across a variety of categories that actually hit mainstream. And I think a lot of that, that, that kicks off a pretty meaningful flywheel at that point. Can, these economies can really disrupt models today. Like even I think about gaming free-to-play model, like it's largely driven by people with money and people with time. If people with the, if people with money start to over, like come over into like blockchain-based games just because they like it and they like the ownership aspect that they get it, that's going to be a force and forcing function for one of the, the largest entertainment industry in the world to start to reconsider how they think about the space and how they. So we're it's like we're tipping points away from some of these things, you know, on the finance side, on the gaming side. Some things are further along than others. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale, from merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting-edge zero-knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. One thing that a lot of people are saying to me since the beginning of the year on the show is that it seems like the NFT market is almost unscathed by FTX. Or there's still like a sense of exuberance that has been sucked out of the maybe DeFi side of the equation, or especially our crypto yeah. capital markets. You know, you talk to the folks building at the intersection of what we call now, I guess, the 
creator economy, NFT, metaverse, they're holding up relatively well. And it's almost like it's a different environment. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, the like, it, it is holding up like surprisingly well. I think a lot of those companies, they were just build. They're just builders, right? And so, you know, if they didn't have their treasury sitting with FTX or whatever the case may be, they're just, uh, you know, they're out there and they're building their thing. And so, yeah, I don't think it actually was so highly even difficult. even surprising to see these big brands, you know, in in. Um, right. In 2017, when we went into a bear market, all the companies that came out and said we were going to accept crypto or do something in crypto kind of disappeared. You're still seeing, I mean, what was it, you know, not to not to trash, I guess, your partner, but Starbucks was going to do the back thing in 2018. Then we went into a bear market. Um, now they're still sticking around. Tiffany's is still sticking around. All of these firms that are kind of engaging with the more NFT side of of the market aren't going away. Yeah, I think that's right. Like we still are really focused on these big brand, you know, partnerships and bringing them in and partnerships isn't the right word. I think it's like supporting these brands in their web3 journey is really the the way to think about it. Um and so yeah, I think it'll slow down a little bit just because some of the macro as far as just people being mindful about um you know where they're spending capital and allocating it towards in their respective businesses. I do feel we've gotten to a point where there's enough um, happening in like Web3 where people have to like pay attention and have an, or like an informed and educated opinion about it inside of these companies. And that is being like, so it's not only the companies like they're deploying programs and they're sticking by them. That is happening. But I think you're going to continue to see folks even in some of this, these, these, these tough times in the macro already see possibilities how it can be a, an interesting part of their their business whether it's small tapping into the community part whether it's like completely reimagining their entire like revenue stream if you think of like a gaming marketplace or you know some of these different opportunities we're seeing so yeah I, I I feel really good about it and even with all the stuff that happened and as unfortunate as it was feel like there's a real silver lining in a lot of it um, and I do think the brands are going to continue to to focus on figuring out what their 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 involvement is in the space. So to what degree do they get into the granularities of how Polygon compares to other layer twos? Or even questions like when we think about how ZKEVM might compare to uh, or Polygon's version of that to Starknet or I'd say most ZKC. aren't. Most don't have that technical depth, and I don't know how much they need to. Like, I think a lot of you know, if you think about what what was working well for us in the beginning of last year was, we built a team. Uh, we had these like great Web three native folks, and then we built a team and brought people in from like Web two that were starting to get into Web three. But like people, people like my background as well, and kind of put everybody together. And then you basically had all the right people in a room. So when a big company would come through and you were ready to talk to them, you literally had all the right folks you would want. People that understand how to work with really large partners, people that understand how to launch an authentic Web3 strategy, people that understand the ecosystem and all the parts, right? And we were able to kind of have this like BD, technical implementation, ongoing partner support, like team built out that I don't think any of the protocols were doing, at least not in an efficient way. This is not like all of the teams are either there or getting there. But at this time, that gave us an interesting leg up. The other thing is a lot of companies had already made a decision 
of like, we want to be around Ethereum just because we know developers and users are there. They had no like opinion better or, or, or like good or bad towards, you know, alt L1s and all the stuff that we talk about and get into. I don't even think that's, that's relevant. They just kind of were like, oh, there's users and there's users here. So this is a great place to start. The one thing that really started coming up was obviously carbon footprint. And so mm-hmm. um, pre-merge, right? So Polygon basically was lower carbon cost. The carbon that we did, you know, we're creating was all of like kind of bridging, ETH bridging. And so we had carbon credits as an offset and so forth. I think the carbon, you know, post-merge, obviously the carbon narrative went away. And then what continued to work for us is we, we certainly hit network effects, right? You start to work with you know, all of these Fortune 500 companies, then you have companies like Nike that just are just, oh, hey, FYI, we're launching our swoosh thing on Polygon, right? You know, and so they just know that other ones are there. So I think at the tail end of last year, we really started to benefit from kind of the flywheel effect of Fortune 500 companies all choosing Polygon. But that's kind of the, that's what, that was what was happening. And I think what their decision was, was more around, you know, certainly the tech uh, you know, needs to be there, but they're not, their tech burden on the protocol is low, right? So like at the end of the day, is like, can you stay up? Can you process transactions? Can you keep gas costs low, right? And some of those things, you know, it's a little bit easier in a, in a protocol like Polygon for what it's designed to do. So I think just being able to be there with a, a helping hand and then them already kind of making some of those decisions did make it easier at times for us. But a lot of them did, I don't, I, you know, some of them did more tech, technical due diligence than others, but I'd say most didn't have strong informed opinions on that part. So are there any sort of aspects of the business development strategy that you think form the underpinning of your secret sauce there? What, what you know, what at a top level are you trying to disseminate down to maybe sales reps or, or, or those types of functions that will, you know, kind of maintain that position, right? Because it is hyper competitive. Um, and I'm sure that in addition to keeping folks on Polygon, you also are keen to bring folks from the outside in. I'm thinking of something like, what is it? Utes? Utes, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, a couple of things there. I think like one... Um, I think a lot of stuff will be multi-chain by the way. So like, I think it's just like a very general thing. So keeping them, I don't think as much as about keeping on Polygon, but supporting Polygon, right. Whether it's one, two or three out of anything, but I do think there's probably more likely a somewhat of a, this like multi-chain future. Maybe that's like another topic. Um, I don't think what we created on the business side is anything like super special and unique. I, I feel like what, I, when, when I came in, the one thing I wanted us to, like, to build is just what can, how do you work like white glove with partners? Because that did feel unique. Like I just felt that there weren't a lot of you know protocol contributor teams that had kind of that level of support. Like some some teams only you know are one or two BD folks. And so this idea of how you handhold a big partner through the whole journey is really important. And look like. These big partners, Fortune 500 companies, are used to having their hand held along a journey, and they, 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 especially in something like Web three, where it's there's a lot to navigate here, um, and so just establishing that relation up front is highly valuable, but not highly unique, right? Just literally, I don't people weren't doing it or thinking about it, and I think that becomes 
everybody's going to do that. It's not that unique. So that is a that was a moment in time where I think we capitalized on like structurally this like partnerships team or you know support team for for projects. We had our ecosystem fund too, which is a hundred million dollar fund. We were investing a bunch of Web three native projects as well too. So there's like a lot going on. We're supporting small projects with these these investments. We're doing this kind of white glove support with big partners. All this stuff is happening simultaneously. All again, not that unique for any team. Really, the future state, I actually think, starts to transition to where people are just going to make decisions largely based off tech, right? So like your whole thing of like, hey, how much of the tech focus? I don't think it was that much before. I think as you shift into the future, that'll be a big decision. Like when you look in DeFi and you look at gaming and all these different things, I think all of a sudden they're going to really evaluate tech stacks uh, and make tech-driven decisions. Hence why it's really important that like Polygon is a, you know, uh, a Polygon Labs were like tech-focused first on some of this stuff. Um and that's where I think these ZK conversations will start to get really interesting as the technical folks, as me as a non-engineer, would do it a disservice. But as the engineers and technical folks have these discussions and how these you know, protocols operate and get out there and actually showcase some of these things will be what's most interesting about Web3 over the next 18 months. Well, where you are certainly an expert is in gaming. Um, can you give us a temperature check? Do you talk to any old colleagues and... How do you see sort of the, the game studios, the, the major ones and developers wading into this market? You, you mentioned the, the carbon backlash. A lot of gamers are not keen um, to, well, and there's always been frictions throughout history. You mentioned yeah. uh, mobile gaming um, and the like. Do you think that the, the, the future is sort of the traditional gaming studios moving into crypto or these crypto native games that we've seen, we saw a flurry of raises last year. Will they take on the traditional studios and just what's the temperature check? Like what, what sort of uh, does the interest look like the, and maybe the pipeline of interest um, as it pertains to Polygon from some of these games to as the, you know, the almost trite example at this point is to allow my skins and my, and my, in-game items, my, my guns and swords to uh, be, be um, you know, whether it's Call of Duty, which I think you have a history with. Yeah. Um, yeah. W- w- at what point will a game like that have, you know, I can listen on OpenSea and, and why would I? I mean, I mean, I mean, there's also like one thing that I think about a lot is there's got to be, there's got to be a limit, right? Where, I mean, if every in-game item is an NFT, it's, uh, I don't know. I always wonder why, like, uh, does everyone need to be one? And I don't know. There's a lot baked in there, but maybe you can walk us through your thoughts. No, I love it. I think there's, there, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, okay. So from a gaming perspective, um, I, I am just macro level, really still bullish on the gaming sector. I just think it's, it's going to take time. The reason I'm so really interested is the, you know, the partnerships and conversations we're having out of like Korea, Japan, and Asia at large, There's none of this, right? There's like a very clear line of sight of Web3, revenue generation of marketplaces on chain, what you can do when you're allowing people to like buy, sell and trade and you're, you know, you're capturing a fee on each one of those transactions. Like there is some, and it's really is off of just what you said. Like, oh, what what happens when we just put like our marketplaces on store? Scarcity of items, let mm. people buy, sell, trade. What does that do to our economy? How does that change our revenue model? Like, actually, it, it isn't any more complicated than that, than that. And I think they see 
a really interesting area to be like highly disruptive um, and, and net beneficial to users and the developer on generating just uh, a higher revenue generating economies. So that is, I think, interesting. Um, then you also could see a potential disruption, like I said, in the free-to-play model, because again, so much of that's driven with people with time, people with money. So if if people with money start to gather in more interest around these like free economies, and that pulls away from free-to-play model, that'll put a ton of pressure on large games, right? And that's where you would see them have to really start to grapple with the idea of do you enter blockchain? Do you do some kind of faux Web3 thing like you were talking about, you know, kind of like what Steam did, very centralized still, but kind of can produce databases of information and all of that. Where they it's not it's not on chain, but they'll get close to some level of transparency. But you know, is that acceptable and is that enough? And will that satisfy users and so mm. forth? And then I see these small native projects that are like, I actually think your 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 big gaming hits will first be a web three native project. And this reminds me of like going back to my YouTube days. When my, you know, Call of Duty was like one of the big games and FIFA were some of the big games. And this mm. is like sort of 2008 on YouTube, like of highlight clips that were going up. Yeah. Um, and then Minecraft, this like small little like Swedish gaming studio launches this like basic <laughs> ass game. And it ends up being like to this day running in my whole time. I worked at YouTube, the largest game monthly based on watch time. And, oh, yeah. And users by a long shot. Right. And it's like, what are you watching? I mean, yeah, just like <laughs> a trillion hours of watch time type stuff, yeah. like unfathomable numbers, right? Yeah. And that started as a game like that, right? And so if you, we were talking this, you and I are in 2008, we're like, okay, what's going to be like the biggest game on YouTube that people are going to be watching in five years? You would not be like that, you know, some indie studio is going to do it, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be like one of the next Call of Duties and all of that, right? That, yeah. that learning alone has taught me to not take any of these Web3 native projects for granted because I actually think one of the beasts is sitting in there. And hence why I think it's really important for us to spend time investing and nurturing like Web3 native games. 90% of them aren't going to work out, right? That's the, that is the part of like when you are in this space, it is the wild, wild west. We're building like literally a frontier and odds aren't great for a lot of people. That's part of the thrill and the journey of why we're why we're here. But they're, they're, from those like shortcomings and some of those games will be great learnings. Now, another thing you brought up was like what needs to be on chain. A lot of it, I actually do think, honestly, it's as simple as digital items and stuff. I actually think that you can do fun things with games. You could have high stakes. You could lose those NFTs in battle or in, uh, you know, war and so forth. Like there's fun stuff you can actually do where like, Stakes are higher and not just these like Ponzi-nomic play-to-earn games that you saw in like the V1 Web3 game era. And then we'll see about some of this stuff. That like I keep an eye on. I brought that game up a couple times, Pirate Nation, just because it's the Farmville, guys. It's a basic game. It's just like some pirates. You do quests and stuff. You don't do much. Literally every single cha- everything quest you do, every item you craft, all of it is on chain. I, I, I'm interested to see if that's like your, your fully decentralized game. Versus like, oh, we're just putting our membership passes as NFTs on chain. What what and everything that happens in between that, what do we learn and where do we actually start to see like meaningful applications for people playing games? I, I continue to stay like open-minded on all of it because I, I don't really know. I think it's probably some combination of this stuff. Um, but I'm excited. I, I, I think it's gonna be it, it's just gonna take time. Gaming takes so long just so long for development cycles to get users. The space is so big. There's so much capital in gaming. So gamers have so many choices. 
you know, you're on the go. So in mobile games is going to be a huge wall for Web3 games to get over with, you know, Google and, and Apple and all the stuff that they have, the shit they'll have to deal with on that. But I believe I believe in all of these things in time, you know, users getting what they want and it's more autonomy and ownership over the th- money that they spend. What advice would you give to a Web3 crypto game developer or entrepreneur? Make a good game first, right? Like right, I think- because it's a facilitator. The the NFT a- aspect is, it's almost like, you know, going to contribute to, let's say, 20% of the success. So much of it is the storyline, the content, and the art. I, I guess Wait, a lot of games well, don't need to be on chain ever. Like look at um, the last of us game, game of the year, HBO spinoff show, right? Like great, by the way, um, that, that shit doesn't need to be on chain. God of war game of the year doesn't need to be on chain. There's like 90% of games, 80% of games don't need anything on chain. That's okay. Right? Like that's our height. Like that's fine. Doesn't need to like revolutionize the games industry and everything. But then there's this section where there are these already economies that are starting to exist and people that have that appetite where it will actually be really interesting to move a portion of that on chain. So anyway, I'm with you. On- so break that down. So like, what, what are some examples maybe? Well, like I, I'm, so I'm, I'll selfishly use, and this is one you've already heard ad nauseum, but I, this is my, uh, my personal experience. I play Valorant all the time. It's a mm-hmm. tactical shooter from Riot Games. Really great game. When you come into the game, right? It's like 5v5 tactical. You come into the game, they offer uh, different weapon skins in a marketplace. In order to buy those skins, you buy Riot Points with cash, USD, right? You buy those Riot Points, then you can buy the skins. When you play a game, you earn Radiant Points. Radiant Points allow you to upgrade those skins, so like turn them more dynamic, you know, do different things and, and so forth. Mm. All of that, for me, would be awesome on-chain. One, like, I'll say why, like, just knowing the scarcity of these items. Yeah. If I got a Season 1 pass and bought, like, a, a knife in Season 1, and that was the only time you could buy it, and I knew that was the only time they were going to do it, and I knew there was only 100, I could trade it out, I could lend it, I could build just even... People could build just businesses off of that, which is where you saw the aspiration of kind of, like, guilds going. And so just put that thing on chain. And if I want to like, you know, and I like the idea too, is right now it's just money out for me. Like it's just, I spent a hundred bucks on riot points. It's go. I'll never get it other than just the enjoyment out of it. So it's like, even if that price fluctuated where I was in season one and I bought that skin and it dropped 95% to $2, right? To five bucks, still more than it would be worth to me now. So I do think some of these things are are really interesting and and being able to put some of these just marketplace experiences on chain open up a lot of fun avenues. Interesting. So like how how would you sort of like define that? Like is is there a core attribute that renders a game more fit to have stuff on chain? Mm, yeah. That's why I think I really like this like free to play concept because it largely requires you to you know buy different like participate in kind of the in-game currency right in mm-hmm. some way or form like that's kind of the what it's created around so there are right like i said there's like these like single player narrative or co-op narrative driven ones like oh, that's ridiculous right come on um then there's stuff that you can do hybrid right where you kind of explain you're like does everything need to be on chain like all these like items and stuff where it's like no it doesn't have to be right and i think uh there's a, a game i'm an investor in that you know just like calling that but ember store Right. And, you know, that game, you could play that whole game, never have to be on chain. Then they're putting part of the marketplace. Like after you spend some time inside of the game, you can go to the marketplace for certain items, you know, that you would want that would help. And that part's on chain. Right. And you don't have to opt in. And then that's where you would do a wallet creation and all of that stuff. So 
Yeah, man, I think it's, I think what people sometimes do is they just take such a like, it's just a, like a, it's a binary point of view. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, it web, it's like Web3 games have to work like, or, or not. Or it's like, oh, this could all just be on a centralized database and like you can make it transparent and do it tomorrow. And I, I think of it much more as we're going to like keep, keep going through this stuff. People are going to keep tacking away at it. People are going to iterate and, and, and slowly start to adopt this tech. Yeah. See, I'm still here. I'm, I, Frank, I've only been in it a year, right? So I'm, I'm like less cynical, I think, than you as well, too. I'm still, I'm still this optimist. I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> I just play a cynic on TV. I love it. I love it. I, um, no, I, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's super, I mean, I used to, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much you want to get into it, but, um, <laughs> no, I've, I feel like I remember when, you know, the show, the main focus of it was on just like the trading landscape and, and markets. And that's like kind of how it started. We didn't do that many for the first year, first two years. And I don't know, it was probably a year and a half ago, right around when you got into the space that, um, you know, we started just crypto change. Right. And we had folks from the, the, the music world and the gaming world and, and then this burgeoning NFT market. Although, you know, NFTs obviously have been around for, for longer than they've gotten all this attention. And so the, it, it took a lot of convincing, but you know, at this point, especially this year, like this is, it's becoming almost the focal point, especially with, you know, half of the, you know, crypto firms of, of last year kind of being bankrupt. Um, this, sure. is, this is what we're left with to an extent. We but, build a new we build yeah, a new. yeah. Out of, out of the ashes comes yes, new yes. phoenixes. Um, so, what would be your dream like partnership? Gosh, I don't know, man. I feel like we're living out some of these ones. I, I don't have, I don't really have one. Like honestly, that I really do. I sincerely mean it. I'm just so open to all of these different things you know, being worked out maybe in a perfect world, just cause my background is in, you know, with Google and YouTube, it'd be really cool to see YouTube do something fully like some creator economy stuff on chain where they could do things with NFTs, which would be fun. Cause I loved, I loved working at YouTube. It was such a fun time. That'd be a cool collab. So I guess that'd be my answer. Um, and I'm a big call of duty fan. So it'd be cool to see a, like call of duty do a, a multiplayer, you know, that has some element on chain. That one day, be- one day, one day, we'll talk about it. You know, it might it might take a couple of years, but one day. I wouldn't be surprised if someone uh, working on Call of Duty listens to this and maybe the wheels get turning. They're um, gonna call me and be like, "Absolutely not, Ryan. <laughs> no, <laughs> no chance." Um, so, how do you? You know, it's still a, a tough environment. Um, how are you incentivizing? Uh, you know devs, different employees sort of stay on and, you know, in terms of just like the, the macro that everybody's talking about. It's different too when you're like a contributor group for a decentralized protocol because you just know your time is finite, right? Like at some point, Polygon Labs doesn't really need to be around in success, you know, because so much of that is a protocol standing up on its own and the revenue generating companies end up being like the middleware providers and the games on top of the protocol and stuff. And so, you know, when you think about working at Polygon, it's just, you have to just wrap or any of these groups, right? You just have to go in with a really different thought process of 
I'm not going to be here. There's not, this isn't going to be a, a forever thing. It's, you're not building the next Google at Polygon Labs. You're launching a tech that, so that we don't build the next Google, right? Like that everything is there. People can build on it. It's operating autonomously. You know, like there's fees being generated, yada, yada, right? So I think a lot of it is actually, it's people that work for Polygon and I would imagine other protocols. Like you're, you're signing up for that regardless of what's, happening around you. Like you just have to be in that mission in order to go work at a company, you know, a company, a contributor group with that in mind. So I think it is a little bit different for us than, than you're talking to maybe other companies where there's, they're like a little more shaken by probably web three or crypto and some of these things that are happening and obviously what's happening with markets and so forth. I, I think when you go work at a, a contributor group, like on a decentralized protocol, you got to have like a different mentality. What are you most excited about for the next year? that we maybe haven't talked about? I think we covered a lot of great stuff. Honestly, yeah. ZK, I, I'm so excited. Like those guys have been just building and heads down and they live and breathe it. And people like Jordy who've been instrumental to Ethereum that has made this, this or their like life's work. It's finally going on display this year. So I just am really excited for those guys. You know, some of those founders and the, the, the group at Polygon and, them getting to tell their story and roll their product out. And I think a lot of people really doubted the time and speed in which they could do these things. And so I'm excited for them. Like truly, I think that's that, 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 that'll be the big thing this year for Polygon. Super exciting. Yeah, man. Well, Ryan, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We'll, uh, we'll do this in a couple of years when Call of Duty and YouTube are on chain. Hopefully before that. Yeah. Amen. Um, to you coming on the show, I'm sure it will take, it will take some time. Yeah. But that's why we're here. That's why we're, you know. It's a long game, baby. We can't be disrupted by this. You got to stay even keel in those wins and losses right now. We're playing the long game. My grandmother would say you've got to take the rough with the smooth. That's what life's all about, man. It's what makes it, it makes it exciting. Thanks so much for stopping by the show to chat with us. Thanks for having me, man. Have a good one. Once again, we've been joined today by our guest, Ryan Wyatt president at Polygon Labs. Where can our listeners learn more about you and follow what you're working on? Oh, just Twitter, twitter.com slash fwiz, F-W-I-Z, which is my gamer tag for a story for another day. Well, what's the origin behind that? So Xbox, the original Xbox did generated gamer tags and it was like funny names and mine was like Quizzy Fly or something like that. And I realized I could shorten it to four letters, which made it easier for my friends to add me. It's like the, the modern day of the wallet address issue. It um, is. And so I just, I took all the characters down to four characters and it was FWIZ. And I just didn't realize I was going to get in this industry work and like forever have it be attached as like uh, my name, my Anon name uh, or lack thereof. And so that's, that's what happened there. I got, I got stuck with it. That's what happens. I mean, I was a kid, man. Listen, you know, Larry Cermak, our VP of research, I think he got his Twitter when he was like in high school and he wanted to be a lawyer. And then you get Lawmaster for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to rebrand, man. It's, that ship has sailed for me. Yeah. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks, man. Take care, buddy. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.